0: More. So this morning we are continuing a series that we're going through the summer as we study through the book of Romans. Uh, again, last week I know, um, again, I was not here, I was on vacation with my family, but then um, Mike Maglish was here and shared with you and, and preached through Romans chapter 8. And again, I'll say, again, he did a great job going through the chapter. And as he described these, these vivid descriptions that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8 about li- what what is life in the spirit look like, right, versus um, life in the flesh. And again, inclusions again, like I said, he did a great job of taking you through that scripture. Um, and, and I'll say he did a great job of, of setting us up to go into chapter 9. Hey, but with that said, as, as I know I joked with him, I know he joked with you guys last week and told you that, I told him I was jealous he got to preach chapter 8. It's like there's so much content in 8, there's so much just awesome stuff in Romans chapter 8, um, and, and really, in a lot of ways, the, the entire book of Romans hinges on chapter 8. Hey, and with that, though, I want to go back and just look at, like I said, he did a great job with that, but there are four memory verses that are a part of Romans chapter 8 that are just so important and so foundational. So this morning, to set us up again to move into chapter 9, which is our text for today, I want to go back and revisit these four memory verses out of Romans 8. Now, if if you haven't memorized scripture before, even if you have, these four passages should be on your list of verses to memorize. Okay, and, and if you do that, like I said, maybe you already have them memorized. But the first one is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, and then the, again, these are all very famous verses, like ones that you've likely heard before. Okay, Romans 8, 28. For, um, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to his purpose for them. And then the next one, next Mary verse of Romans 8 is 8.31. And it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And then we, he concludes Romans 8 with these last two verses that say in Romans 8.38 and 39, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons nor fears of today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, can ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we look at these four verses, and these these are foundational, big picture, theological statements. That Paul presents us in Romans chapter 8. And like I said, there are these big picture foundational theological statements he makes these, and then we move into chapter 9. And as we get into chapter 9, Paul switches gears. He switches gears from these big picture foundational theological statements, and he gets very personal and very practical. And that is our text for today is going to be Romans chapter 9. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 9. We're going to look uh, at this first section, which is verses 1 through 5. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles that you're welcome to use. They're available in the seats, and uh, you can get one of those. You'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. But as we open up to Romans chapter 9, we're going to start with verse 1, where it says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Now, I want to stop right there with just that first verse, because that first verse is very powerful. Now, it's very personal, and it's also very practical, but it, as well, carries a lot of power. It say, because here Paul bears his own heart. He, he knows and realizes as he writes this letter, not just to the Romans, but as he ministers to all of these different churches that he's planted, as he, as he presents all of these truths that God has shown him, that as he lives out the call on his life, he realizes that what he's teaching is not easy. That these things are very hard to live out. That there will be struggle. There will even be, be times when we question, am I doing the right thing? And yet he tells us right in the very first sentence of this chapter, right? He says, with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. He's like, I understand that it's not easy. I understand that it's hard. I understand that it's even things that you don't want to hear, right? But I have this conviction in my heart that what I am teaching you and these things that I'm asking you to do are 100% truth. Right? They are the ways of God, they come from God, and this is what we need to do. And then he says, as he says, I believe they are truth. And like I said, now how does he know that? How can he so confidently say, I am speaking you truth? And then the second sentence, he tells us why. Because he says, my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. Again, he is telling us in, these, in this verse, he's telling, first off, his conscience, the voice in his own head. Right is saying, you are doing the right thing. You are fulfilling what God has told you to do. Right? You are on the right path. Even if, if other people don't like it, even if they don't want to hear it, even if it's hard, even for you, you are on the right path. His conscience is clear. and He's coming down, a very personal thing. Right, He's like, yeah, and we, we know what he's saying here. Right, Sometimes we know what we're supposed to do, and yet we don't do it because of whatever reason, and, and it just eats at us. Right? And Paul is saying, I know this is not easy. These are hard truths. This is a hard teaching to live out. But my conscience is clear. He's like, and um, it's also confirmed by the Holy Spirit. I saying, not only is the voice in his head you know, um, at peace, but also he says, I am seeing confirmation from God and from his Holy Spirit that I am doing the right thing. Right? That, that the Holy Spirit is pleased with what I'm doing. And it's confirmed that I'm teaching you truth. And so as we see this this confession of Paul, this very personal and practical confession that Paul gives us in this verse. Okay, it leads us to this, this logical question that we need to ask ourselves as well. And that is to what or whom are you living to please? Because with this said, Paul is saying is like, God has called me to teach this truth, to to move these churches in the right direction, to to challenge everybody to grow in their faith and to be transformed and and all these things. And again, he's going to go deeper into that in these following chapters in Romans. And we're going to get there, right? As we continue to work through the summer. Hey, but yet he's saying, I am teaching this truth and my cause is clear. And the Holy Spirit continues to confirm that I'm doing the right thing, right? Which means for Paul, he is... Living to please God, first and foremost. Right? That's who he's living to please. And of course, it comes to us to whom or what are we living to please in our life? Are we living to please God or are we living to please something else? Because the truth is, there's a lot of things in this world we can live to please. Right? And it kind of even starts with, with other people in our lives, whether it's a parent or a relative or a mentor or a coach or whatever it would be. Right? There are people we, we can, usually if it's a person, right? there's one of two kind of attitudes that we take into that. If we're living to please a specific person, right? Where one, we could be coming into that with that saying, I'm living to, to prove that person wrong. Right, because they said that to me or they made some comment or they, whatever, and I'm going to prove that they're wrong. Okay, or the other side of that coin, right, is, is saying, I know that I'm never going to please them, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do everything I can to try. I'm going to be better than they expect. Right, are you, are, you, are you living to please a specific person? Or is it just the world? In general, just of what the world views as success, is that what you're living for? But again, that's kind of the attitude that says, I will be the richest and the most successful person I can be, right? Because that's how the world defines success, right? Or are you living for yourself? Right, and again, Paul, we've already read, right, is he, we know about this sinful nature and, and life with the spirit and life in the flesh and kind of all these things that he just taught us. And, and again, are we living to even please ourselves? And, you know, one of the classes that we teach as a part of our church is Financial Peace University. And the guy that made that, that financial course, his name is Dave Ramsey. And he's got a bunch of kind of great quotable, like one-line things that he takes out of the class. And, and he says it in the class. He also, it's in his book called Total Money Makeover. But this is one of my favorite quotes from him. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Right? And, and he, that, that is a great definition of our culture. Right? And, and as, as we realize that and think, but what's at the core of that? Why do we go deep into debt to buy fancy stuff to impress people we don't even like? Why do we do that? It's because ultimately it's about me so that I look good in front of that person, right, or in that moment, or whatever it might be. And again, to what or whom are you living to please? Is it God, or is it something else? Again, as, as he, you know, bears his, his heart here in this first verse of Romans 9, we see where he's even more clear about this intention and what Paul's living to please in one of his other letters. In Galatians chapter 110, Paul wrote also this letter when he says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Boy, I wish he was more clear. I wonder what he really means. It's obvious what he means, right? He's saying he is living to please God, period. Now this this doesn't mean that we're like going to purposely make people mad. Right again that's I, if you're truly living to to please Christ like that's not the heart of God. Right I mean we're not going to purposely make people mad but what he is saying is that if there is a choice in front of you about I'm going to please this person or I'm going to please God it should be a very easy choice for you to make. Right I'm going to I'm going to Choose God, right? Because I want my causes to be clear and I want the Holy Spirit to confirm that I'm doing the right thing, right? And, and again, he bears his heart and his motivation behind even these hard truths. Okay, and then we see if we continue to read in the next couple verses here in Romans chapter nine, he, he gives us all of this in the first verse and then we see Romans uh, nine, two through three when he says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, even cut off from Christ if that would save them. Again, now as he continues to bear his soul, now he kind of goes even deeper. And he says, we see what, again, his real motivation in his heart is, right? Is that he says his heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief because there are people that he cares about that do not know Christ. He's saying people I interact with, people, friends and family and and they don't know Christ. And he's like, I would do anything if they would be saved. Right, and now as we see again this attitude of him, right, as we continue then, what's the challenge for us? And I think as we to learn from him as he gets super personal and super practical, right, is that for us to ask this question, what are your true feelings for those who aren't living in the Spirit? Okay, how do you really feel about people who don't know Christ, who are not believers in Jesus? who are going down a different path. What's your true feelings for them? Because Paul tells us his unending sorrow, right? He's like, I would do anything if they could find joy in Christ and find salvation and find a purpose for their life beyond what they're doing, right? For their conscience to be clear, for the Holy Spirit to be active in their life, like I would do anything But what are our true feelings about those who are not living life in the Spirit? Again, it starts with those that we interact with every day. Whether it's our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members. Again, we all interact with non-believers every day in our world, in our culture, in our lives. And what is our attitude towards them? What is our heart towards them? Are we representing Christ to them? Right? In the way we interact with them in the grocery store checkout line. Right? Or with the waitress when she gets our order wrong. Right? Like how 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 what kind of a heart do we have for those people? Right. As, as, we, as we think about that, um, again, within um, you know, think about even beyond that, it get even more personal. What about the people that visit our church? that show up here, that come here, that, again, my hope, I think if we're doing everything God's called us to do as a church, we should have people in our services every Sunday that do not know Jesus. Right? And how do we treat them? How do we welcome them? How, how do we interact with them when they show up? Right? Are we welcoming to them? Do we, do we see them in the side of the foyer and do we go talk to them or do we just stick with our friends? Right? Do we make them try to figure out where to check in their kids by themselves or do we show them? Then when we bring them into the sanctuary, do we just, you know, do we give up our seat for that person? Right? Maybe we sit with them instead of having them sit by themselves. You know, again, what's our heart for people who don't know Christ or don't have a church family? I'll tell you, in journey class number one, as people come and start in that class, one of the things that we do in that class is I always ask everybody in that class because, again, our goal is to have every everybody's committed to Oregon Trail to go through those spiritual growth classes. So at that point, they've decided, if they sign up for that class, they've decided Oregon Trail is going to be our church, right? And I always ask at the beginning of that class, I'm like, one, how did you hear about us? Why did you come? And also, I ask them, why did you stay, right? And, and, and I've heard, like, lots of great things from different people and about why they came. Why, you know, why, and why they stayed. Again, and I'll say is one of the things that, the overall probably number one theme that I hear from people, how they answer that question, is they say that the people at Oregon Trail were real, genuine people, and we felt like we were really wanted here. Now, my hope is that no matter where our church goes, no matter how big or small it is, or whatever we're doing, that that never changes. Right? And so one, that's a, I mean, thank you, because that's you guys. Right? You make people feel that way, and I hope that we continue to do that. But, but again, how, how do we interact with them? What's their experience going to be like? Because that all rests on all of our shoulders. Right? And then there's the unbelieving world. Right? What do we do as believers to purposely interact with unbelievers? Because it would be really easy for us as followers of Jesus, as Christians, to just go into our Christian culture and to stay there. And to just have all of my friends or followers, you know, I like, uh, just hang out with everybody from church or whatever it would be. Like you say, it'd be easy for all of us to just, to just do that, to live in our Christian bubble, right? And we walk out, we, you know, to Walmart and we just put up with it and we run back to our Christian bubble as fast as we can, right? They, I mean, that, that would be easy for us to do. Okay? But again, Paul is, is challenging us. What are your true feelings of those who are not living, living life in the Spirit? And what are you showing them in your daily interactions? Okay, I'll tell you, again, as I said, one of those questions I asked is, how did you hear about the church? Like, why did you come in the first place? Okay, and I'll tell you, many again, you guys know our youth pastor, Dusty. She, she spoke a couple weeks ago. When I was gone, she shared her story and her testimony. As I'm sure you noticed, she has a lot of tattoos on her, okay? And, and because her husband's a tattoo artist, okay? So there's a good reason she has a lot of tattoos, they, uh, now, they, they have a, They have a shop. They own a tattoo shop. It's on Caldwell Boulevard, okay? And like in their building, half of their shop is the tattoo shop. The other half is, is Dusty's hair studio, okay? Because she does hair too. Okay, now, and I will tell you is their shop, their tattoo and hair studio in Caldwell Boulevard is, I would say, I would venture to say probably the number one reason people have come to our church in the last year and a half. Okay, there are multiple families in our church because they first heard about Oregon Trail when they went to get a tattoo. Now, that's not what they were expecting, right? Or, or they went and had their hair done by Dusty. Now, again, now there's, I mean, there's hundreds of people that go through that, that shop. And again, they're not, you know, they, I mean, they're that, but, but if they have an opportunity, they take it. Okay, and they represent Christ in that business. Okay, and that's awesome. Right, we think about again other ways, and again, how do we live out this this idea that Paul's presenting to us? Yeah, I'll tell you. One of the things, the other things I share in in journey classes is, with that is like again, growing up, like I've I've coached my boys in youth sports, right, in football and in baseball and just all kinds of different stuff. One of the reasons that I've coached them is because it's a chance for me to interact with the unbelieving world. Right, and I have a chance to interact with, with those boys and with those parents for several months. And it's at that time when I'm not Pastor Brian, right? I'm coach. Right? And I can show them Christ and through that. Right? And there's been great opportunities, again, I've had through that. Um, again, as we, I'll tell you, is like, um, one of the reasons I play men's league golf, I play men's league golf at Purple Sage okay, in the summer. Now there's lots of reasons I play men's league golf, but the one of them, Okay, is because it's a good chance for me to interact with non-believers. Okay, and, and that happens every time I go out there in, in a match in men's league, I'm reminded that I'm around non-believers. Right? But that's one of the reasons I do it. Because it would be really easy for me to go into a Christian bubble and to stay there as a pastor. Okay, and, and as we think about that, I think what a kind of, situation we have i'll tell you again we have a church softball league right it's again the bulletin you want to come watch us play softball tomorrow night we have a game tomorrow and right now we're playing church league softball right where we're just playing other churches okay also we did it last year we're going to do it again this year is we put in an oregon trail team into the middleton rec league okay and and again and i'll i mean i don't want to overspeak for everybody on the team, but I tell you, but I feel the pressure of that. One of the, we did that, and again, talking with some of the other families and all of us that played on that team. Right? We did it so that we could wear a shirt with our church logo on it and walk into that and, and interact with those other people as we play softball. Now, I feel the pressure when we go into those games to make sure that I, we truly represent Christ in the middle of that situation, especially if I go 0 for 4, right? am I going to keep a good attitude, right? If I make a bunch of errors, right? What, what's going on? But the way we interact with those other teams is very important, right? And one of our motivations of putting a, a Oregon Trail team in the Middleton Rec League softball, right, is to continue to expand our influence in this community. What is your true feelings for those who aren't living life in the spirit? Again, this, as we see, this, this is not easy teaching. This is hard stuff. And yet Paul gets super personal and very practical. Okay, and we see again his heart as he shares it in one of his other letters in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, okay, where he says, when I speak to those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything that I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. Right, we see his motivation, we see his heart again, I feel like we're, again, as a church, I feel like we're doing a good job in this, but it needs to be, motivate us to do even better, right? And to continue to pray for those who don't know Christ and to be able to reach out and represent him in our culture outside of the church walls. And then we see this next section of scripture in chapter 9, Uh, verses 6 through 29. And yet for in respect of time, we're not going to go into that and go deep, but I tell you is that it's it's rich just like all of scripture in Romans has been. I encourage you to go back and read it yourself if you haven't done so already. But in the center section, Paul addresses a few major theological issues. Some of the things that he addresses are things like God's omniscience, which is his all-knowing factor, character. He also references God's omnipotence, meaning he's all powerful, as well as God's sovereignty, that he has authority over all. And then just as he's done several other times in the letter, it's just first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And he addresses these in this whole center section. But as we kind of summarize it, um, and realize that from verse 6 all the way to the end of the chapter, Paul literally quotes 12 different Old Testament passages in the remaining verses of the chapter. Okay, As he makes this case about all these different characters of God and how it applies to our daily life. As he gets very personal and very practical. Again, at this whole section I feel is summarized very well by these words in Ezekiel and found in verse 36, 26, 27. And again, God speaking through a prophet, as he says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The overall kind of theme of this entire section is, what is your heart really living for? Is it cold and hard and stubborn or is it malleable by the spirit of God? Right? And if it is cold and hard and stubborn, it says that God will, can take it and transform you into exactly what he needs you to be, right? to, to represent him 100% in our world as you continue to move forward in your faith journey. Now, as we skip over this section today, then I want to conclude with this final section of chapter 9, which is verses 30 through 33. So picking up here in Romans chapter nine, starting at verse 30, when it says, so what does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Hey, as Paul here kind of wraps up this, this thought again, as he continues to be very personal and very practical, as he comes down to this and saying, why were they not successful in their faith? Well, because they stumbled over this rock in their path. Okay, and I would say, as we look at that, right? Again, we see that, and, and that's exactly what he says in verse 32, right? He says, they stumbled over the great rock in their path. And I will say is that all of us in our faith journey, in our life journey, wherever we're headed, right? Whether we're headed towards Christ or towards anything else is that there will be stumbling blocks in our path. We will have struggles. We will have things that we don't understand. We will have unanswered questions. Hey, there will be something in your path you are going to trip over. If not, maybe even right now you've tripped and are laying flat on your face right now and some issue in your life. I don't know. But we've all experienced that and we we will again. Right, and as we realize that again, and and once again, Paul quotes here, okay, this, um, this Old Testament passage as he quotes Psalms 118. Okay, now Jesus also quoted this passage and, and we see this at different times, right? That there's this stumbling block in the middle of their path. And again, for us, what does this teach us today? And that is, Paul's teaching us now through this teaching as he says to pay attention to what trips you up because you're gonna get tripped up in your journey. Pay attention to what trips you up. It might just be the most important thing in your journey. Right, now we see we obviously see the original context of the Psalm and, and even as Jesus quotes it and as Paul quotes Jesus for quoting it, right? He said it's it's the core of it is the gospel. Right, he's using this example, right, of these Jews that that tripped over Jesus as they, they said, is he is he the Messiah or is he not? Is he what all these Old Testament scriptures were prophesying about or is he not? And it was a stumbling block for them. And that is at the core of that is the gospel message. And in fact, Jesus again speaks to this in Matthew 21, verse 42. When he says, then Jesus asked them, did you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. Because Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Everything is built on top of him. Right? And yet to them, it was what they tripped over was Jesus. And yet it was also the most important thing in their journey. Now, again, some of the Jews believed in Christ and a lot of them didn't. And Paul is calling us to say, right, as he quotes Jesus and Psalms, who quoted Psalms 118 to say, is pay attention to what you trip over because it might be the most important thing in your entire faith journey. Right, and as we realize that, right, and again, we can think that and even seek and ask that question. What is it that's tripping me up? Again, obviously, first and foremost, this is speaking to the gospel that Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Right, and is, are you tripping over Christ at all? Have you received him as your savior? Have you opened your hands completely to his his will and, and what he wants for you? But it also speaks to many different parts of our journey. Because the truth is, if something is tripping you up, it's also holding you back. If something's tripping you up, it's also holding you back. What you trip over might be the most important thing. It might be holding you back from moving forward in your faith. Pay attention to what you're tripping over. And again, I have no idea what you're tripping over. I can tell you what I'm tripping over, but we don't have enough time. Because I'm just like you. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm working in my faith just like you are. Right? And things trip me up too. If if something's tripping you up, it's also probably holding you back. Right? And, and again, part of that is to pay attention to what's tripping you up because God's calling you to say, hey, we need to deal with this. Okay, also... Many times, the biggest struggle in your life will become your biggest area of ministry. Many times, your biggest struggle in your life, the thing that trips you up the most, will also become your biggest area of ministry. After God's healed you from it and can move, it, and again, we have to be careful that, that we don't get sucked back into that sin or whatever it might be, right? But yet, if God has delivered you from something and from that struggle, and he's delivered all of us from something, right? Because if we're saved, he's delivered us right? But don't underestimate the power of your story, right? Because whatever has tripped you up has also tripped up somebody else, right? And ultimately, we need to go back to that very first verse, right? Is my conscience clear? And is the Holy Spirit confirming in my life and in my heart that I'm going down the right path, right? And we have to, again, go back to God and to say that. Now, one of the things that we've Want to do as a part of our vision is to have people make journey videos, right? Of you just literally just telling your story on a video, because God can use that story in somebody else's journey. And If you're interested in making a, a journey video, then talk with me. Like I said we got a team set up that will help you work through that and get it recorded and and get it ready. But it leads me then this morning to my final thought, and that uh, final thought comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has put before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Again, I don't know what's tripping you up. I don't know what's slowing you down, but Jesus is ready to take it from you. And maybe you're just here, maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never received him in your life and ask for forgiveness and for him to become, to take over your life. And then if you've never invited him in your life, then that's what's tripping you up. And I mean, you can do that today. You can receive him as your Savior and become a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but there's something tripping you up that you just need to leave at the altar or give to God or whatever it would be. And I encourage you today, to take that step, to pay attention to what's tripping you up so that it can stop holding you back. Lord God, we thank you for your love today. God, that even when we trip, even when we struggle, God, even when we don't have the right attitude that we should have to represent you. God, I thank you, God, that you're with us. Lord, I thank you that your love stretches into whatever we face. God, as we go this week, Lord, I pray that you would help us, God, to keep our our eyes and our hearts focused on you. God, that we would live to please you and ultimately only you. God, you continue to, Lord, show us what our lives are to fulfill, Lord, to glorify you. God, that we would represent you with every person we interact with, especially with those who don't know you. And God, I pray that you continue to lead each one of us forward in our faith. God, if something's tripped us up, if something's holding us back, Lord, I pray God, that your Holy Spirit would overwhelm that situation, that person, whatever we're facing. God, that we would get over that this week. God, help us as we go, Lord, as we represent you, Lord, that we can serve you with everything we have, every moment and every interaction this next week, God. We love you. We thank you, God, that we can find help and comfort in the shadow of your wings. Lord, guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.